Amen and amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you at this time to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 is where we'll make a home. I hope you listened to the announcements earlier. We're excited about all the things coming up. Um, we, we have, I think, about six people signed up for the chili cook-off, and I just want to say to you, I get it. I wouldn't want to compete against Texas chili either. So uh, just, just come and eat my champion chili, and uh, we'll go from there. This is how I get people to sign up for things. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, also, you know, I want to tell you that I was praying for uh, a football team that a lot of you care about, uh, okay? So I just want to tell you that love would say you should return the favor today, all right? Uh, so just for Charles and I, please do it, all right? Uh, and not just Charles. We got, they're all over the auditorium, all right? There's, there's, some of them are, are a little more secret cowboy fans than others, but it's fine. Uh, Hey, uh, let's, let's jump into the Word of God. That's what we came to do today. We're in this series that we're calling The Search for a King. And we have seen God doing incredible things so far, and we're only a couple chapters in. In fact, today we will wrap up chapter 2. We have much to read today, and I'm excited to dive into the text. But before we do, I do want to kind of help us establish the setting. There have been some questions, and they've been good and fair questions, about Shiloh. And I want to kind of clear up some of the mystery of this location, this temple that we've talked about, because I've had some people say, well, wait a second, Pastor, the temple wasn't built yet, yet you're calling it a temple what what was this at Shiloh what was happening so let me kind of remind you of what we said a couple of weeks ago God's people had been in captivity to the Egyptians and the Lord delivered them through the exodus in a miraculous way and, and then you get to exodus 20 and the Lord establishes a covenant with his people at Sinai I will be your God and you will be my people and it was predicated on you worship and obey me and I will bless you and this worship of the Lord as we've said many times here at Crossroad worship is not limited to a location or a place yet the Lord in his grace had provided a place for the people to be able to worship him and that was what was known as the tabernacle now uh, I was doing my daily Bible reading just this week in Exodus towards the end of that book through like chapters 20 through 40 and you're going to see the Lord give very specific instructions on how to build the tabernacle it, it was a tent uh, that was essentially built for worship and it was a portable temple so as God's people wandered through the desert they would take down and then reassemble the tabernacle and that was where they would worship the Lord now you need to know as you read through the Old Testament it gets a little confusing because at times uh, this phrase temple and tabernacle will be used somewhat interchangeably along with even tent of meeting which uh, we know in Exodus there was a separate tent of meeting but eventually they call the tabernacle the tent of meeting are you confused yet Here's what you need to know. The tabernacle was where God's people met to worship the Lord and to offer sacrifices that represented the Lord's power and presence. And this was where God's people would gather to meet with the Lord. But this was a portable situation until God's people eventually conquer the promised land. Do you remember this with Joshua leading them in and then the land is divided up among the 12 tribes in Canaan? But Shiloh is where 
where God's people eventually settled and kind of established a religious and political capital. Now, this was about 20 miles from Jerusalem, which you will recognize that as the site of the temple and kind of the religious and political center for Jewish culture. But before Jerusalem, there was Shiloh. And the tabernacle was set up here in a semi-permanent fashion. Now, when I say semi-permanent, you need to understand it's pretty permanent. It was there for about 369 years. We know from this text that doors had been built on it. Who knows what other modifications they had made to this tent that lasted that long. Uh, But this is where they worshipped the Lord. And the tabernacle was set up in Shiloh. And and it's okay to refer to it as the temple. That's not a mistake because in chapter 3 next week, we're going to see that they referred to it as the temple. But this indeed is that structure that once was what they called the tabernacle. Now it is set up in a semi-permanent way that they call a temple. And this is all taking place in Shiloh. So all of the story and the narrative that we've discovered together so far has taken place there in Shiloh. Hannah was going to Shiloh with her family where she poured out her heart to the Lord and God blessed her with a child. And then she dedicated Samuel to the Lord at Shiloh. And now this young boy is serving the Lord here in the temple. And that's where our text picks up today. We have much to read, so I invite you to follow along there on, in your copy of God's Word or up on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV today and we'll be in 1 Samuel 2 starting in verse 12. And the Word of the Lord says this, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear from the people, or hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? They would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? 
Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to the altar to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house." Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. You pray with me. Lord, there is much here. God, I pray that by your grace and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would communicate your truth to us in a way that we can understand it and apply it and live it and become the people it is you want us to be. So Lord, thank you for your word. Give me clarity of speech and thought and give my brothers and sisters uh, clarity and hearts and minds of ears and hands and feet ready to walk out this word that you've given us today. We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, the sons of Eli were wicked men. The NIV, the, the CSB will translate that word worthless that way, and that's a good translation of it. They're wicked men. They didn't know the Lord. The priests of the Lord did not know the Lord. We've seen signs of this already as we've studied 1 Samuel. Do you remember Hannah is praying in the temple, and as she's praying in the temple, Eli doesn't recognize prayer. He, he assumes that she must be drunk because there's a woman in here moving her mouth and talking in the temple. The priest did not recognize prayer in the house of the Lord. You think, well, how in the world does that happen? Well, I assure you, brothers and sisters, it didn't happen one day when a priest walked into the temple and said, hey, guys, guess what? We're not going to pray anymore. Like, if that happened, certainly the people would have said, what in the world? This can't be. But compromise slowly happened, and it did not take long before the, the tent was essentially empty and full of hooligans running the place. We're going to see this happen again in the life of the people of Israel. I wish it wasn't so, but do you remember the story of King Josiah, the young king who is uh, working to reestablish what the Lord is doing there in his people, and he has them clean out the temple. And as they're cleaning out the temple, do you remember what they found? Like in the back of the corner of a closet, they were like, hey, what's this thing? Take it to the king. And they open it up, and they're like, huh, it's scripture. And you just find yourself thinking, how do you lose the Bible? <laughs> like, you're the, you had one job, right? <laughs> That's what you want to say. 
How do you lose the scripture? And, and again, I would say the same thing. I don't think a priest walked in one day and was like, yeah, we're not gonna use the Torah anymore. We're not gonna use the sacred scriptures, the writings, let's not do that. No, but slowly but surely over time, this happened. Oh, and brothers and sisters, I got too much to preach, but I could go on a tangent right now because I'm concerned that the American church is gonna lose the Bible. Now our sermons have a little bit of Bible and a whole lot of pontification. You're welcome for that word. And I said it and didn't accidentally cuss or something, so I'm very thankful. We just throw a little scripture, sprinkle a little scripture and say, well, it had some biblical principles in it. Oh, friends, may we be a church where we preach and teach the Bible. Uh, we, we don't want to just teach Christian principles. We want to teach and preach the Bible. We want you to know when you leave this place that we've studied God's word and heard from his truth. And I pray that we would not be able to lose the Bible in, in a closet somewhere. So this has happened and wickedness is rampant in the temple, yet Samuel is here in the midst of a wicked system, in the midst of wicked men, and he is serving the Lord. And it's interesting because the writer is very intentionally showing us a contrast between Eli's sons and now we have here Samuel. So we have these priests that are evil and wicked, and then we have this young priest in training who is serving the Lord faithfully. I love this text where Hannah would come every year and bring him a little robe. Like, I just want to see those Facebook memories, right? Like, I want to see those pictures of this cute little kid getting his upgraded robe every year. I bet it was super cute and super awesome. But he's growing up and he is serving the Lord. So we see Eli's sons were evil in this first section. Then verse 18, but Samuel ministered before the Lord and grew in the presence of the Lord. Then the writer goes back to Eli's sons in verse 22. They were super wicked and they were doing all kinds of crazy things. And then you go down into verse 26, but Samuel continued to grow in both stature and in favor with the Lord and with man. Well, what was the source of this wickedness? Well, essentially what Eli's sons were doing were satisfying their own fleshly desires through temple worship. When they were hungry, they were taking the best portions of the meat. Again, if you read through Exodus, which I had the joy of doing this last week, I was just reminded of how God provided for the priest. He said, in your sacrifice, give the priest this portion or that portion. And it was to literally feed the priests and their families. But these guys weren't just taking what the Lord had set aside for them. They were taking what they wanted. They wanted the fatty portion. They were like, give me the tomahawk steak. Let's go. They were wanting the best of the best. And not only that, they were taking their pick of these servant girls as well. Wicked, wicked men. And yet in sharp contrast, we see Samuel ministering before the Lord. This all comes to a head in verse 27 where the Lord sends a man of God to confront Eli. And he says, your sons are wicked and you haven't done anything about it. Yes, certainly Eli tried to address it, but he didn't remove them. He never took actual steps to do anything about it. And the text says, because you won't do anything about it and because you have chosen to fatten yourselves instead of do what the Lord wants, your priesthood, your leadership of my people is going to come to an end. It's really the first of two prophecies that Eli will hear. Uh, next week, we'll study the other one. And it's really a tragedy. 
after this beautiful story of Hannah, a barren woman, giving the Lord giving her a child, now we see the tragedy of Eli having wayward and wicked sons and Eli's passive, inactive stance that really let this evil occur. Now, I would tell you it would be real easy at this point in the sermon, and to be honest with you, this is the easiest interpretation that you could find, and I would say it's probably, I'll just throw it out there, it's lazy and inaccurate, but I had a great sermon title to go along with this early in the week, until upon further study, I was like, this isn't really what this text is about, and I've heard this preached this way, and maybe you have as well, and it's the easiest thing we can find is the idea of parenting. Well, you got Eli's kids and you got Hannah's kid. But, but here's what I want to just throw out there. Eli's raising all of them, right? Like, it's not really fair to say, well, I mean, Hannah, she did this and this and this. Hannah showed up once a year and brought him a robe. How's that? Like, is that going to be your parenting strategy from the word of God, right? Rusty, he's all yours. I had a couple of you trying to give me your kids last week. I was like, no, I got four already. You just show up once a year and bring a robe and be like, parenting. No, no, no. Friends, this text isn't about parenthood. You know what this text is about? It's about priesthood. It's about priesthood. Hey, did you know, brothers and sisters, that today you are priests of God? Congratulations, you all just got upgraded. The Bible says that you are a priest. Where does it say this? In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that you are a holy priesthood. Because of Christ and what he's done for us, you and I have become a holy priesthood. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So some of you think that I'm a priest, and I want to tell you, you are right. I am a priest, but not the priest of Crossroad Church. I'm the priest residing over this temple. This is a theological principle known as the priesthood of the believer. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot that down. That's an important truth to remember and know that you are a priest. God has called you and enabled you to be a priest of God. So as we look at this text, what we're going to see are indeed some very sharp and intentional contrasts. But this isn't about parenting style. Uh, This isn't just about life. But this is about, are we good priests, faithful priests to God, or are we bad priests? This is what we need to wrestle with today as we look at these contrasts and we need to prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where we are not living as the Lord would have us live. So I want to point out three broad contrasts that we see clearly in this text. And I want the Lord to help apply this to our hearts and our souls today. The first contrast is this. Empty religion versus genuine worship. Empty religion versus genuine worship. Eli's sons were, again, wicked men, but guys, they were checking off all of the religious boxes. They worked at the temple. They, they were doing the sacrifice. Certainly, they were probably cutting some corners, right, and doing things in ways that didn't honor the Lord. But temple worship was going forward unscathed, from, by and large. Hannah's family came every year. Families came, and they did their thing. They checked off the religious boxes that they felt like they needed to check. They did the things that they thought they needed to do. And, and everything seemed great, yet the reality was their hearts were far from the Lord. Is it concerning to you that you can look 
like you have it all together, that you can look godly, that you can look spiritual, that you can look religious, yet actually be wicked and far from the Lord? That's a very concerning passage where it says, and they didn't know the Lord. Chapter 2, the first verse we read, they did not know the Lord. Reading a book written by a Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter, centuries ago, and the whole first chapter of the book talking about how to be a pastor was make sure you're saved. And I was like, yeah, that's a good, like I was reading it in my bed last night and just put my phone down. I was like, Lord, thank you for being in my life. Remind me of my salvation. And he said in that chapter, be sure that you're not proclaiming and offering something to others that you yourself have not found. Brothers and sisters, may I ask you today, do you come every week? Do you check off the religious boxes? Do you do all the things that you think you're supposed to do and not have a relationship with the Lord? And I think in, in Western Christianity, in the Midwest, it's easy for us, church culture, to just kind of fake it. We post some Bible verses on our social media. We, we act like we have it all together and it seems like everything is good in our lives and we're just trying to be good people, doing good things, working a good job, raising a good family, but all the while having no evidence of a real thriving relationship with Jesus. Oh, friends, do you really know the Lord today? Yeah, you, you may not be stealing meat from the sacrifices and sleeping with servant girls at the temple, but can I tell you what the gravest sin they did? Was pretending to know the Lord. It cost them their lives and their souls. And I want to tell you today that if you're just faking it, if you're just going through the motions, the Lord knows. You can fool your pastor, you can fool your mom, you can fool your grandma, you can fool your church family, your life group, everybody else, but the Lord knows. I'm not saying that to scare you today. Perhaps it does need to scare you. But can I tell you that the Lord is gracious and you're here today so you could hear this appeal, so you could hear this call to know Him today. He loves you too much to let you live a life of empty religion. So you have this juxtaposed with Hannah and her son, Samuel, who are genuinely worshiping the Lord. When Hannah went to Shiloh, we saw this a couple weeks ago, she's pouring her heart out to the Lord. When the Lord answers her prayer, she is pouring her heart out to the Lord last week. Samuel, we're going to see that he doesn't actually really know the Lord yet. I believe this happens in the passage we'll study next week. But, but even now, he is seeking to genuinely worship him. He's serving him. He's in the temple doing what the Lord's called him to do and doing his absolute best. He is genuinely seeking to worship the Lord. So, so here's what I want to just ask you today in a very clear way. Are you genuinely worshiping Jesus in your life or are you just going through the religious motions you think you're supposed to to be accepted culturally? Because you can be culturally accepted and people can say really nice things at your funeral and you can go to hell. Because ultimately, the only thing that can make us right with God is knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So do you really know him today? Being a good person ain't going to help you. Because, spoiler alert, you're not a good person. Oh, but his grace is enough 
And he calls us today to genuinely worship him and to surrender our very lives to him. God is so good to us. You know why? Because Hannah is seeking the Lord. Samuel, even now, is seeking the Lord in this text. But can I tell you what's cool about this text? The Lord is still seeking Eli. The Lord sends a man to Eli to say, hey, what are you doing? This is an opportunity for Eli to repent. Eli could have repented and said, no, enough of this, but he doesn't. It's tragic. But I want to tell you today that God is good, that even in his sin, the Lord is seeking Eli. And I want to tell you that even today, if you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit as I'm preaching to you right now, hear my heart. The Lord loves you too much to let you settle for empty religion. He wants you to experience the life, the joy, the purpose, and the hope that comes from genuinely worshiping Jesus. Oh, you can know him today. I pray that you do. A faithful priest is one who genuinely worships the Lord. The next contrast that we see in this text is entitlement versus service. Entitlement versus service. See, these guys thought that they were entitled to get what they wanted. They, they went and, you know, got the best portions of the meat. Why? Because they were the priests. They got what they wanted when they wanted, and they manipulated their position and power to do it. I think it's a subtle but important note that they didn't even do it themselves. They sent servants to get the meat for them. And then they're taking advantage of these young ladies, but the position of power that they have, they're abusing that, and they're sleeping with these women at the temple. This was an entitled bunch. Yet we see that in the midst of that, in fact, uh, some of the newer translations literally say, by contrast, Samuel grew in stature and wisdom and in favor in the eyes of the Lord and man. How did he grow? Uh, I would suggest to you that he grew through service. He grew through his service to the Lord. Now, here's what I want to say to you, because I think this is really easy for you in the, the pews or the chairs or what have you to say, wow, this is really an indictment on ministry leaders and pastors. And I'll just tell you that yes and amen, there, there are many ministry leaders in our world today who would embody the, the spirit of the sons of Eli, who are in it for selfish gain and to promote themselves and preserve themselves and get what they can and that seek to use their power and influence to get what they want when they want it and we could have that discussion at some point but I don't want you to go all the way there and forget that the Lord's trying to talk to you right now and we need to ask ourselves do we have the spirit of entitlement or a spirit of service and I think it's easy to to paint our inner lawyers guys you should pay them more than you do because they're great and you keep them on retainer all the time and our inner lawyers are great at convincing us that we just have selfless hearts that are serving others. But can I tell you, when, when I discover entitlement in my life, it's when things don't go according to my plan. When I don't get what I think I need. When my safety and security and comfort are at risk. In the past year, about a year ago now, really, uh, just a situation happened in our family that was 
completely outside of us, like not our faults, not really anything involving my immediate family, yet because of some of the actions and sins of others, my family was thrown into complete and utter chaos for months. And we're still kind of trying to pull out of it. And can I just tell you that in that season, I discovered some real entitlement. Y'all better believe I was throwing my spiritual resume up to the Lord constantly. Lord, I moved to Kansas. I'm, I, you know, uh, our families are all gone for it. Like we, we did like, uh, I'm working as hard as I've ever worked, Lord. And it sounds absurd to say that, but haven't you found yourself in similar positions before? Lord, because of what I'm doing, because of what I've done, because of how hard I'm serving you and working for you, I ought to be able to dip that fork in there and pull out some meat when I'm hungry. I want the fatty portions. Let's go. Oh, but it's in those moments, sometimes through discomfort and trial and craziness, that that our hearts are kind of laid bare before the Lord and we see things that we wish weren't there. So I ask you this today, perhaps to, to, by the Lord's grace, maybe he would help you see some of this entitlement before you go to the trial. (laughs) Because it's coming in your life, whatever that's going to look like. But are you serving the Lord so that you can get what you think you deserve? Or are you serving him in response to what you've already gotten from him that you absolutely did not deserve? Oh, that's the heart of service that the Lord's looking for. When you recognize, man, the the fact that I'm alive and the fact that God has saved me is enough for me to serve him come what may in my life. I want to give him everything that I've got. I want to serve the Lord. I pray that you and I would be able to serve him with gladness and with joy and that the Holy Spirit would root out any sense of entitlement in us. Faithful priests are priests who serve. Finally, the last contrast I want us to look at is discontentment versus blessing discontentment versus blessing a verse that the lord really just stuck in my heart and mind as i studied this text uh, came from verse 32 and in the esv it doesn't read as as fluid as some of the modern translations where it says then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever if you read in the niv or the christian standard some of the newer translations what it's going to say there is that you can't even see that things are really good in israel like life's going to be rough for you even though it's going well in israel And here's why I think that's important and why the Lord just stuck that in my heart and my mind. It's so easy for us to find ourselves looking around at all of the circumstances and all the things that are happening around us and not realizing the blessings that God has given us. Y'all, let's just acknowledge this. Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, and Samuel are all in the exact same place doing the exact same things. Not all the same sins, but you know what I'm saying. Their daily life looks the same. Yet two of them, and we'll say two and a half, because Eli is kind of a half evil guy there, right? Two and a half of them are just letting their lives slide off into the world and the culture, and they are discontented, and they can't even see that God wants to bless Israel. 
Yet Samuel is faithfully serving the Lord. He's serving Him and living for Him. I want to encourage you today to see the blessings of God in your life. This is a principle that the Lord reminded me of as I was studying this passage. Sometimes we have a hard time receiving God's blessing because we're not seeing God's blessing in our life. Discontentment has a way of robbing us of the blessings of God. When we have hearts that are never satisfied, hearts that are always looking for more, hearts that are constantly digging the fork down in there trying to fix things, trying to find more that will satisfy, you're not going to find a fatty enough piece of meat to satisfy your heart, brother or sister. It's not going to be that next relationship. It's not going to be that next job. It's not going to be that next financial blessing or the the relief from the pressure situation you're in. The blessing of God is yours today in Jesus Christ. You need nothing else. And until we recognize the blessing, we can't receive the blessing. Eli and his sons were living with discontentment And their discontentment led to sin, which led to a real struggle. I want to ask you today, are you living in blessing of the Lord, or are you looking around at what you don't have, asking God, why don't don't you have it? Here's what I want to ask you today as we wrap this message up. If you're keeping score, that's not a good idea, but if you are, You've got these three contrasts, right? And you're saying, am I a faithful priest or am I an unfaithful priest? And maybe you're giving yourself some points for service. I'm not entitled like those millennials. Okay. Have you been to a church where they changed the music? Oh, we won't talk about that entitlement. It's fine. It's fine. See, y'all got real quiet. It's okay. You're giving yourself some points on service, but, but maybe you're taking away some points because you are discontent, and you're trying to rank yourself. Am I a good priest or a bad priest? What if at the end of the day, you add the points up and you say, I'm a bad priest. I'm an unfaithful priest. Can I share some good news with you today? And it's going to sound like bad news at first, but here you go. You're all bad priests. You're bad at it. You you try to do good, but you cannot do it on your own. But the good news is at the end of this passage in verses 35 through 36, really verse 35 says it, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Friends, here's what I need you to, to understand today. You are a bad priest, but this man of God who came to Eli was doing kind of what Hannah did last week. This is a double prophecy happening here. Yes, the Lord is going to establish a priest named Samuel, but can I tell you what happens? Spoiler alert, not even Samuel's kids are going to be faithful to the Lord, and the priesthood's going to end there. 
So even this faithful priest is not in the end going to be a faithful priest. But what this guy was prophesying prophesying about, he didn't even know. But God was going to raise up a priest in the future. The book of Hebrews calls Jesus Christ our Savior the perfect high priest. And he is the faithful priest of God who does exactly what is in the heart and mind of his heavenly Father. Can I tell you what's in the heart and mind of his heavenly Father? The next line. I will build him a sure house. Do you know what he's building that house out of? A bunch of rocks like you and me. 1 Peter 2, all the way back, full circle, said that we are a holy priesthood. And then it says that we are living stones, that we are being put together to build up a spiritual house that will bring honor and glory to God forever and ever and ever. Friends, you're a bad priest, but we have a faithful priest who is able to take our empty religion and turn it into genuine worship. He's able to take our entitlement and give us hearts of service. He's able to take discontented people like us and help us see, recognize, and receive the blessings of God. Jesus is the faithful high priest who is worthy of all of our praise. So I pray that we would worship him and serve him and live and walk in his blessings day by day by day by day. Lord, thank you for your word. You're so good, God. Thank you for being the faithful priest. Oh, it's so easy for us, Lord. And I know, see this in myself, to get distracted And to think that I'm the priest, that I've got to, by my own work, try to spur these works in me. But Lord, I pray that today you would help every single one of us just bow the knee to you, the faithful priest, so that you could then take our lives and exchange our sin and our selfishness for you and the fruit of the Spirit so that we can be built up into a spiritual house that fulfills this mission you've called us to. Oh Lord, we love you and we thank you for all the many blessings you've given us. Help us respond to this message in a way that you want us to. Church family, I just want to invite you to stand right now in an attitude of worship and prayer. If you need to come pray at the altar, I would just invite you to be obedient to the Lord in that. If you need to pray with me, I'd be glad to to pray with you. I'll be standing right here and would love that opportunity if the Lord's calling you to it. Perhaps today you, you realize I'm the wicked priest. I've never bowed the knee to the Lord. I don't know him. Can I tell you, if you don't know Jesus, you can't walk out of this place and turn yourself into a worshiper who serves and lives in the blessing of God. Only the great high priest can do that, but he stands ready to intercede on your behalf today as he interceded 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you new life. Oh, I pray that you'd know Jesus if you don't know him today. I'd love to talk to you about that if you need to during this hymn of response. Let's worship the Lord together.